into the Virgo blank. Hi, this is Steve here. Back in Season 2, Episode 1, we tried to find out what happened to one of our favorite video game heroes, Charlie Chuck, the star of the game Food Fight by Atari. We've recently discovered some new information about Charlie Chuck, which we will be providing for you in the next few days. But, for now, please enjoy a remastered version of Season 2, Episode 1, The Disappearance of Charlie Chuck. Jeff, what'd you get for Christmas? Well, I got a lot of I got a lot of Switch games. Um, unfortunately, my son stole the Switch and put it in his bedroom. But before he stole it and put it in his bedroom, I played a lot of Atari Flashback Class. And Is that the new one for the Switch with 150 games or so? Hundred. It's got 150 games. It comprises all three of the releases that they've done for the Xbox and PlayStation 4 by now. Wow, that must have every Atari game on you it. You would yeah? you would think so, but it's missing one. What game? It, is that Jeff? Well, it, let me put it this way: it even includes 5,200 games. That's crazy. And it includes just tri- doubles and triples of some games based on 2,600, 5,200, and and um, arcade. But I find that a little questionable, by the way. That we're all those like, do you really yeah. need the 2,600 version? If nope, you, got- you don't need the 2,600 version if you have the arcade version. But it's it's interesting to have. But no 7,800 games. No 7,800 games, which is a huge omission because they could have put my favorite game on if they'd done that or the arcade. What game is that, Jeff? Food Fight. Don't you mean Charlie Chuck's Food Fight? Well, I never called it, it Charlie Chuck's Food Fight back in the day, and I'm not quite sure I know anyone who did, but yeah. I Charlie think I Chuck's remember, <laughs> excuse me, I think I remember that being on the title screen or something. Charlie Chuck or on the I'll have you know, to title look screen. It. I knew, I knew that name. But yeah, uh, I, I I don't remember that appearing on any of the retro collections we have anywhere. Um, it, I don't have it, and I actually there was one chance to get it which was in the game room for xbox 360 that was created by chrome studios however just plugged in the 360 and tried to load game room and it's not there in fact all most of my game room, there's no game room at all anymore so all the purchases i made gone yeah i know that's kind of and that's that's the danger of buying things digitally it's why people want to use their own retro emulators and stuff because you know with their own roms because these collections go away well what about mame have you tried it on mame well, I have. Originally, I played on MAME, and I couldn't figure out what the problem was with it. It does play fun, and it works well, and the, everything's there. And I didn't understand why, and I think it's the control. Because yeah, the is. control was, was, I think it was 360 degrees with a 60, actually, it was... It was an interesting 360 movement because I remember you could throw the watermelons in many more directions than you can now on the 7800 version. So on MAME, it's fun, but you still only have eight-way control. And so there's something different about it. Okay, but what's so weird is that there's lots of other games with not great controls that Atari has put out on these retro collections. Well, um, yeah. I mean, Tempest, point, all this, what? Tempest. Tempest, all the sports, all the Atari sports games that came out on those new collections, like the, the trackball controls are really hard. Breakout is awful on those collections. Right. So I, I can't see just crappy controls being the reason. In fact, I think, Jeff, we've discovered a mystery. You think there's a mystery? The mystery is the disappearance of Charlie Chuck. Um, yeah, kind of. Okay, wait, this gives me an idea. Let me cue something up for you. Looking at the game lists for existing barcades and arcades in 2019, as well as the contents of all the various retro collections that have been released on video game platforms, you'd be hard-pressed to find a game that was not represented. But if you look closer, you might find several games that don't appear in many places. And one of those games stands out as one of the best games made in the golden age of the arcade. A game that gets little respect and a game that hardly shows up anywhere. That game is Atari's Charlie Chuck's Food Fight. What happened to Charlie Chuck? 
from Into the Vertical Blake. This is Crime Story, The Disappearance of Charlie Chuck. What is up with that deep voice, Steve? Well, you know, like in the other podcasts I listen to, like those true crime podcasts, they always have some guy with a really deep, grizzled voice. Um, if you ever listen to the new Vindication on, uh, I've heard on Gimlet or Crime Town, they always sound like it's like a hard-boiled gumshoe detective or some grizzled police veteran of like 30 years so it always sounds like they have to have to have a guy like that so our true crime podcast has to have a a deep a deep voice well okay this is not raymond chandler and you're not mickey spillane so stop it just stop it okay it's okay but no more okay i don't think i'm gonna do that because we're going right into the rest of the true crime podcast right now for the record Mr. Jeff Fulton, can you tell me where was the first time you met this Charlie Chuck? The first place I met Charlie Chuck was at the Castle Park Arcade in Redondo Beach, California. Can you describe what it was like to play games at the Castle Park Arcade? Castle Park Arcade, you would walk in through two giant wooden doors like a castle and off to your right were some pinball machines and off to the left were some old 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 school arcade games like uh, avalanche and space invaders and then as you went through the arcade getting towards the snack stand and then the other exit which went out to miniature golf you got all kinds of other arcade games and usually what would happen was as you went further and further down the line newer and newer games would show up and then there was a set of skee-ball machines far off to the left and those skee-ball machines next to them would always be the newest arcade games so that that would be a bank of donkey kong machines and somewhere in the middle of the arcade was a food fight machine that i found and that's the first time i met Charlie Chuck. They only had one and it was stuck in the middle of the arcade machines that were relatively new. My guess right now is that it was near Atari Space Duel and next to that at least for a little while was Charlie Chuck's Food Fight and on the other side of that was a Tron Deadly Discs machine that I had never played before. Food Fight was a coin-operated game released by Atari in April 1983. In the issue of Coin Connection, Atari's publication for arcade operators about their arcade games, they described Food Fight this way. Atari presents a madcap video feast in Food Fight. This game is sure to satisfy the cravings of your most ravenous players as they meet lovable, laughable Charlie Chuck, who must dodge all kinds of flying fruit and vegetables in order to catch and eat an ice cream cone before it melts. It's a high caloric comedy caper with a leading character that will melt your heart. How many ice cream cones can Charlie Chuck consume? Your player will soon find out as they maneuver Chuck with the 360 degree analog joystick and right-handed left handed throw button to the other side of the screen where the ice cream cone awaits. Acting as a wave timer as it drips down the game seconds, he must get past Oscar, Angelo, Jacques, and Zorba, four different types of chefs who unexpectedly pop out of holes, pursue Chuck, and throw food at him. Each has a unique behavior pattern, and they all intend to prevent Chuck from reaching that ice cream cone. If Chuck manages to get to the ice cream cone in time, he can eat it in one huge gulp and move on to a new game level and a different flavor of ice cream. But if he is here, hit by thrown food or caught by one of the pesky chefs, 
all the food on the screen flies straight at him, causing him to roll his big blue googly eyes and lose a life. Shucks, poor Chuck. There are piles of tomatoes, peas, bananas, pies, and watermelon that Chuck can use to defend himself from the persistent chefs. Each food reacts differently when thrown, and Chuck never runs out of watermelon ammo. A special feature exclusive to new Food Fight is the instant replay. This entertainment spectacle is proving to have tremendous player attraction at the game's test locations. If Chuck has a close call and is nearly hit by food, an accurate reproduction of the play action immediately preceding can occur, accompanied by the Food Fight musical theme. The player has no control over the play field during an instant replay, so he can just stand back and enjoy Chuck's lucky break. Gameplay then resumes to normal. Bonus points are awarded for eating the ice cream cone and for the unused food left on the screen at the end of the wave. There are 125 total game levels programmed, and with each progressive one, Charlie Chuck encounters more chefs and more holes. Your players' appetites will never be satisfied once they've met Food Fight's cast of characters. They'll indulge themselves in game after game of Charlie Chuck's zany escapades. Atari's Food Fight is tantalizing fun no one can resist. I remember just, I had never seen anything like it before. I think the attract mode, it looked a little bit like Robotron, which is a game I liked. And you see the attract mode, him running, and it's an instant replay, and his giant head goes around the ice cream cone and the food flies up. I think it was like, what is this game? I have to try it. And then eventually, I probably over a year span put so many quarters in that machine because it just became my favorite machine. Well, of course, I love the instant replay, but my favorite feature was the watermelons because the watermelon was an unlimited supply of ordnance that you could fire at the chefs. And also, I love trying to figure out a way to get an instant replay. So it seemed to me that if there was a near miss on you or you stayed a long time on the screen, especially on the ones that had the watermelons and killed a lot of guys, you get an instant replay. Food Fight was a very interesting game. It was more of a sports game than a shooting game to me. The reason being that it was almost like football to me. And this is the early 80s. And I was into, we had the Rams and the Raiders and we had lots of sports. I was into sports. I played sports. I played soccer. I actually like sports video games. And Food Fight, to me, was the idea of running from one side to the other side of the screen and eating the cone. And dodging had a lot to do with football to me. And then the throwing aspect almost was like combining football and dodgeball together. Now, dodgeball, not a favorite game of mine, but that's what made the game so fun. Supposedly, all of the chefs had different personalities, like Pac-Man's ghosts. I'm not 100% sure I recognized any of that. And I don't even know the names. I'm sure that each chef had its own name. I don't really know their names. I didn't really catch that. In the arcade game, you weren't really catching that. Later on, maybe in the 7800 instruction manual, I probably read about them and, and thought it was really cool that each had a name and a personality. But that's not what you focused on when you played the game. The game is frantic. You were focusing on throwing food and running towards that cone. That's what made the game so awesome. There were different types of food on the levels. I remember the banana levels being very good and the watermelon levels being very good. I like the banana ones because when you threw the bananas, they spun and it was almost like throwing like uh, some sort of shuriken or something from a kung fu or karate movie or something like that. Each piece of fruit seemed like a different type of weapon, even though it was the same. It had the same effect. Did you ever play Food Fight in an arcade after you played it at Castle Park in Redondo Beach, California? No, I have not. Um, I, I could never find another machine. Arcades, we didn't go too much after this game came out. In high school, we didn't go to the arcade very much. Things changed. That area wasn't the greatest in the world at the time. It got a little bit more run down where that arcade was, where that castle golf was. 
But let's turn for a minute to the character of Charlie Chuck. Who was Charlie Chuck? And what effect did he have on gamers at the time, like Jeff Fulton? Well, to be honest, at the time, I didn't even associate him as Charlie Chuck. That was only later when I got into MAME and found out the name of the game was Charlie Chuck's Food Fight. It may have said it on the machine, but I wasn't that aware of my surroundings, especially in that arcade. Actually, I was more worried about, you know, the surroundings of the other people at the arcade than what it said on the marquee. But I know it said Food Fight. As a character, I think Charlie Chuck was great because he has his big head and he has a huge giant mouth that could eat the cones. And it was a character that actually could have been used in a lot of other games. And why it wasn't, I'm not sure. I think because of the nature of the character, it was a perfect Nintendo-style character that could have been used in side-scrollers, shoot-em-up games, pretty much anything. In fact, Charlie Chuck really is the ultimate shoot-em-up game. It's just food. So what's going on here? An amazing game, a great character, but a disappearance almost off the face of the earth. We aim to find out what happened. This is The Disappearance of Charlie Chuck. Okay, well, that was really interesting, but how do we go about solving this mystery, Steve? Well, Jeff, we tracked down the creator and programmer of Foo Fight, Jonathan Hurd, to see if he could shed some light on all of this. Are you ready to put on your interview hat, Mr. Jeff Fulton? I know, I gotta look under my chair and see where this voice is coming from, but um, yeah, sure, I'll put on my interview hat. My name is Jonathan Hurd. I, uh, in early 1980, or late 1981 through mid-1984, I worked at a company called GCC, General Computer Company, and we created a bunch of video games for Atari, I think roughly 70 titles in, in that range, uh, and also Ms. Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man for Bally Midway. I started there after having met the founder when I was working at a company called Strategic Planning Associates, which is a strategy consulting firm, and I got hired there right out of MIT, where I did my degree in computer science. I really wanted to be a software engineer, and so when the GCC founder, uh, who I had hired as a summer intern, and and his uh, other founders started up GCC, you know, soon thereafter, they got a deal with Atari to develop games for them. And he knew my capabilities and said, why don't you come work for us? And I thought, great, this is uh, what could be a better job, making video games. And my, um, you know, First day on the job was a little bit before Christmas in 1981, and I went into, his name was Kevin Curran, went into Kevin's office and said, so, you know my background, what should I do to get started here? And Kevin said, come up with an idea for a video game, build it, and we'll all get rich. And I said, oh, that sounds great to me. By the way, that first day on the job, I also noticed that my new colleagues were getting putting the finishing touches on Ms. Pac-Man, the arcade game, and I said, hey, can I help you? guys they were under the gun and um mike horowitz who was one of the developers of ms pac-man said yeah her lips are looking a little funny could you uh see if you can fix them up and so i spent a, a few minutes uh working on the pixels around the red and yellow pixels around her lip and then uh they set out the roms to valley midway so uh i always say yeah, i'll put the finishing touches on ms pac-man's lips that's awesome. <laughs> and this Pac-Man was a 6502 assembly language. Was it in a Z80 or what was it? That was based on Z80, as was Pac-Man. And Ms. Pac-Man was implemented initially as a daughter board that plugged onto the onto a Pac-Man. So it was originally an kit. But then I believe after some period of time, and as the popularity grew, it was a lot cheaper to incorporate it into uh, the Pac-Man hardware. But actually, I'm not 100% sure about that. I have a... No, I think uh, that... I I think you're correct. We've heard lots of stories about that. I mean, the lore about Crazy Auto turning into Pac-Man and then Midway having the the license to just hear. And of course, Namco it was a Namco game and whatever, however it works. There's all kinds of fingers that touched it, but Miss Pac-Man turns out to be my one of my favorite games of all time. So it's good to hear oh, that you made the finishing touches on that one. 
GCC, the company, were a group of MIT college students who built speed-up kits for video games. These speed-up kits were gray market items that let arcade operators get a little bit more money for the games they already own. One of those games they built a speed-up kit for was Atari's Missile Command. They began selling the speed-up kit from their dorm at MIT. Atari got wind of it and sued them for millions of dollars. But sooner or later, Atari realized that it might be better to have these brilliant MIT students on their side. And so they hired them instead to make video games for Atari. At first, GCC made arcade games, including Quantum, an unreleased game called Nightmare, and of course, the game we're talking about, Food Fight. Well, who came up with the idea for Food Fight, and if it was you, how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, it, it was me, and the way I came up with the idea, you know, given Kevin Curran's uh, direction to come up with an idea for a video game, build it, we'll all get rich. So, you know, I was a, a fairly avid video game player, but I also had a job during the day. So now I have plenty of, you know, time to really think about this and just focus on it. So I played a lot of games. Um, we had a few in the office, but I also went to arcades. And I was thinking, you know, I want something that isn't shooting at people. There were all there were tons of games that involved shooting, obviously. And and I thought, you know, that's not great in terms of attracting women to play. And also, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a game that just has more of a fun tone to it? <clears throat> so I thought, what else could a what else could the fire button be on a game? And I thought, throw, because I play baseball. And okay, what could we throw? And then food popped into my mind. And then I immediately thought, that is the perfect idea for a video game. Call it Food Fight. And that. And then I thought, I better do this game before anyone else realizes that there could be a, a game called Food Fight that would involve <laughs> throwing food. Uh, so I was, you know, the moment I thought of that, um, I was very inspired to just get things moving as quickly as possible. So um, I wrote a game proposal and I actually had the date jotted down, January 4th, 1982. Wow. So, and I ran it past Kevin Curran, Doug McRae, the other founders, and there were nine people at GCC and people thought, hey, this seems like it could be a good idea. And it's actually pretty remarkable how close in terms of gameplay the original proposal was to what we ultimately uh, created. Well, I mean, on that note, you know, Food Fight, um, as I mentioned, Miss, this is Jeff, as I mentioned, Miss Pac-Man is one of my favorite games of all time. Food Fight is my favorite game of all time. Um, and I'm not just saying that. You can ask Steve. I, we it's had his favorite have, game of all time. We had to have an Atari 7800 when I turned, like, I was turning 17. So it's like, I should have been doing other stuff, which I was, but I had to have Atari 7800 because Food Fight was on that machine. It was like the only thing I wanted to play. Um, wow. And to me, Food but Fight was, was a game of football where you threw things at the other players because you had to get from <laughs> one side of the screen to the other and eat the cone. And you also had, so it had like these elements of like a sports game, which I wasn't necessarily that much into sports games, but it just did, along with the elements that it was like a sports game mixed with Robotron because you had yeah. that, that goal. And anyway, great game that everything about it, I mean, we go through in this podcast before this, describing it, but the, the instant replay, the watermelons, especially just everything about it is 100% awesome. Anyway. Plus, the nonviolent nature is, is really cool, too. You know, at a, at a you know, few years before NARC came out and just blew everything away in the nonviolent space, like it was a, it was like a, a real, I think, milestone in like how to create a nonviolent, you know, awesome sort of action game. So, oh, well, thank you very much because I did, uh, yeah, I did want it to be nonviolent. I also wanted to make it easy to learn at the outset. In other words, easy to just do level one and not get totally discouraged. But also, if you stuck with it and you get up to the max level, you know, level 125, 
it is a lot like Robotron, and and to me, Robotron was one of the. Uh, I think it's the best game ever from a game pure gameplay and controls perspective. It's it's tough to master with the two joysticks, but once you master Robotron, the level of feeling of danger and your ability to get out of seemingly impossible situations, you know, is what's so cool. And there's a certain amount of that in in Food Fight as well. So it's a really high high action, but it's also approachable for someone who is a more casual player in the earlier rounds. Well, I do want to eventually ask you how what the algorithm is for creating an instant replay, because it seems to me that if you get out of sticky situations, it happens. But I don't know how you would calculate that with math. Um, yeah, so, well, I can I can tell ahead. you right now if sure. you want. So, um, first of all, I got the idea for instant replay because... There was a whole lot of RAM. Food Fight has eight kilobytes of RAM, so very, very little RAM, but not all of it was really needed uh, to keep track of where all the foods and chefs and characters were. So I realized I had about half of it left over, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And I thought a couple of times when I was playing, boy, I could wish I wish I could watch that again. And so I realized, oh, all I have to store is the position of the joystick and the state of the throw button. And I had a random number. There is randomness, but it's all based on a random number seed. So as long as I kept track of that and the state of the throw button and the joystick throughout, I could recreate any round. And so I did that and tried it. And then of course, you know, many of the rounds are pretty boring. So it just felt like a boring intrusion if it just popped up randomly. So what the software does is it looks for a close call of piece of food almost hitting you, in other words, as well as a close call of a chef almost catching you. So there has to be both a near food and a near chef combined with, I think it's uh, eight seconds or something that you have to go at least eight seconds for an instant replay to be generated. And then a very cool thing, uh, Patty Goodson is a composer we hired and she wrote this instant replay music and she wrote eight different versions of it. And then based on the length of the instant replay round, I would choose which of the eight versions, like some of them had a chorus or whatever, and others didn't. And so choose which version and also then slightly speed it up or slow it down so that it matched the exact time between the start and when Charlie Chuck eats the ice cream cone. Who else you did? You mentioned Patty. I think it was Patty who did the music. Who else was on the team? Was it just you and a music uh, or a sound designer or were there more people on the team? No, it's quite a few. And and really the a short answer to the question is everybody at GCC Got it. seemed to contribute in one way or another because we had an environment where you know we had offices when we needed to just go and think and immerse ourselves in solving some problem we could go into them but we also had all these game stations around a central lab area and so i would have the current version of food fight up and running and people would come by and play it and then they would have ideas and i keep track of ideas and think about can that be incorporated or should we change that in some way so everyone was contributing i want to start out by saying that and then but there were people that contribute a lot more than others and their initials are in the high score table oh. when the game starts up. My initials are in there, followed by Tom Westberg. He was the game's hardware designer. Uh, Roland Janberg contributed many ideas and wrote a lot of the code also, especially at the beginning when we were rushing to get prototype ready to show Atari uh, demos. Atari executives periodically came to visit us. Bruce Burns also worked uh, on the original prototype with me in January 1982. We actually did the very original prototype on Pac-Man hardware on a Z80. So we mocked it up in Z80 assembly language, and then we later ported it to Tom Westberg's hardware. Now, was that, <laughs> um, is that a 68,000? Did you get your, did you, or what did you, what hardware were you, did you report it to? What was the final hardware? Yeah, so the, the actual platform uh, was based on the 68,000. It was, as far as I'm aware, the first 16-bit you know arcade game. And 
it was great because it gave us a lot of power to have 32 objects flying around on the screen. And, and never even with that and that faster clock speed compared to the 8-bit processors that were out there at the time, still had to do a fair amount of optimization of the code. And the other advantage is the 68000 is that there was a effectively a beta C compiler that was available for it on the emulator hardware that we were using. And so wow. I was able to write most of Food Fight in C as opposed to assembly language, but due to a combination of bugginess and inefficiency of the C compiler, I still wrote some of the tighter loop in 68000 assembly language. When you can write most of the game in C and handle stuff that is not really time sensitive, uh, it gives you a lot of flexibility into uh, making changes very quickly. And I also see it, you know, plain old regular C is not object oriented, but I kind of implemented it, implemented the, the software in a something resembling an object oriented way. So my whole goal was to make it as flexible as possible during development so that we could adapt gameplay easily and make it, um, make sure that, that it was fun. And that there's a lot involved there in terms of timing, of how fast do things move and, you know, how fast do various foods fly and everything and how complex does the game get in early round, you know, and how how much does it accelerate as you go through? It just gave a lot more flexibility to have the have the software in uh, high level line. No, it's uh, we I didn't realize that it's probably one of the earliest arcade games written in a higher level language. One interesting aspect of the development of the Food Fight coin op was that it was built with the Motorola 68000 microprocessor. It was one of the first games that used the Motorola 68000 microprocessor and was also one of the first games programmed in C. But one wonders, is this reliance on the Motorola 68000 one of the reasons why the game has not been seen in any retro collections? We asked this question directly to Code Mystics, the company that built the last three flashback classic game packs as well as Atari Vault, and this is what they had to say. Focal, our emulation technology, does support the 68000 code. For example, we've released a variety of Neo Geo games, as well as Atari game titles like Gauntlet, Marble Madness, etc., which are all 68000 based. The games that we do for Atari are chosen in consultation with Atari. We'd be happy to do any game they want. Whether they would like to include Food Fight is up to them. Hmm emulating the hardware appeared to be an interesting clue, but quite possibly, it's simply a red herring. We want, I want to ask you a little bit of a question about the legacy. Uh, I know you only worked for about, sounds like you only worked for about till 84 there. Um, That's right. Yeah, it was about two and a half years. And and I, my guess is that everything was time and materials with Atari, so that or were there royalties that you guys got back from the from the games you created? Yeah, as I recall, there was a flat acceptance fee. So when they said we like this prototype, we're going to proceed with it, you know, and go forward. And there was there was some kind of a reimbursement also for development costs. Um, and then there was like a final acceptance fee, and then there was a share after that of any profits that went above those wow. uh, acceptance fees. So there, it was, um, you know, for a game that was a, a big hit, it, it could have been, and for some games I'm sure it was, a significant number. I, I just know for Food Fight itself, uh, there was, um, you know, th there was, a, a set amount and I think the game had so few it might have been 2,500 wow. arcade units or something in that range not much compared to you know like a Ms. Pac-Man that as far as I know did around 100,000 units uh, um, in that you know in that range so I, I don't think there was any more after the initial payment uh, in terms of royalties for Food Fight because it, it it really was introduced right as the video game market was crashing. Did you ever go look to see play the 7800 version? I'm sure it wasn't easy to get. The 7, sorry, 7800 sold a, a couple of million units, but it wasn't like an NES or anything like that. 
Oh, yeah, no, and, and I was very involved with helping Keith Sawyer, who actually did the conversion, you know, so I was working uh, upstairs, we had two levels, he was working downstairs, and so I had well-documented source code, which helped a lot, but he, um, he had to also make sure it, you know, the tweaks were made so that it ran appropriately on the 7800, and, you know, he did a great job implementing the game on on the 7800 it, and so uh, it was all happening you know, while I was there and even yeah. the development of we did the 7800 hardware for Atari well, that's right that's right of course of course I didn't know if you were there at the time though for that but of course you were because I think it came out in well I think it was announced in somewhere around 84 so you must have been working on it before that um, what do you think about Charlie Chuck as a character? Because obviously with only 2,500 units sold of the machine, but then a lot of cartridges for the 7800, Atari not having very many characters, we always thought, we wondered why Charlie Chuck, even popularity in, you know, not as big as Mario, right? But what a character, it's already created a side view character with a big head who has personality. Why do you think maybe that wasn't, that didn't go on to be used in other games? <laughs> well, well, that uh, yeah, I I think Charlie Chuck, from a character development perspective, and in, in many ways, was never really born. I mean, he, he's in he's in the game, but there's you know virtually nothing about him except he has a, a giant head and a big tongue and smiles in a satisfied way when he eats the cone. But beyond that, you know, there's no there's nothing about him that developed him as a character. Well, and there, so, and there wasn't in Don. I'm sorry to be interrupt you at all. There wasn't yeah. in Donkey Kong either for um, for Jumpman, which was your Mario. But a Nintendo had the went ahead and started made game after game. GCC, something happened to GCC and Atari's relationship, and we kind of felt that if that had continued in some way further along the line, there might have been some more Charlie Chuck. Or there might have been a bigger appreciation in the overall video game world for this character in this game. Well, you know, I the, the one game that I thought would have been a lot of fun is a, uh, a two-player version of Food Fight. And I'm not sure who Charlie Chuck would have gone up against there, <laughs> but... Uh... Detective voice Steve thinks a character named Harry Hurl would have been the perfect foil for Charlie Chuck in a two-player game of Food Fight. You could imagine two people both racing to eat the cone, but also potentially cooperating around hitting chefs. And so, you know, rather than a two-player game where you're alternating, there's a there could be so that was one game I thought of that would make a lot of sense as a kind of follow-up to Food Fight. But uh, in terms of Charlie Chuck the character, you know, I, I think the name of the game with Charlie Chuck in it implies probably a lot more emphasis on him as a character than we sort of ever envisioned and we were always thinking and and I still believe the most important thing about uh, games is gameplay. I mean if you have a noticeable character like E.T. or something but a terrible game based around E.T. that drags down the character name you know but you can have a, a really great game with an unknown character from a pure gameplay perspective and yeah you might it might take a while longer for people to discover it and everything but it's like I don't know I, I think maybe Mario Brothers, even if the character hadn't evolved from Donkey Kong, still would have been at least, it would have been as, as popular. It's, so I'm, I'm not, I don't think the character migrating from Donkey Kong to uh, Mario really had a whole lot of impact on the success of Mario, actually. Yeah, it was the gameplay, obviously, in the in the two, the first Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers. When you were, so you mentioned, so what you, the 7800 version was being made at the same time as your version? Well, it was made after Food Fight was finished, which is always, when you're doing a conversion from one platform to another, it's a lot more efficient to, to do it after the game is 
that's what I was thinking. Yeah. developed, you cool. know. Uh, so yeah. So did you guys ever have any interaction with the Atari games people at the at first? First off, you were there during the non-Atari Tremel year. Tremel year. So before Atari was sold, um, because you were there through you know 1984. But were you there when that sale happened? Did anything happen to GCC at that time? Because I know the relationship continued in some way. Yeah, I I left before we we started developing Mac software uh, for the Apple Macintosh rather, and so I was on this uh, team initially. I effectively stopped becoming a game developer in late 1983 uh, and started planning software for the Apple Macintosh. And then at that point, I decided, you know, if I'm not going to be a game developer, and we could all see the industry was crashing, right? So we we were as a company looking for the next hot thing to do. So, but I personally wanted to uh, write software uh, in in a in, with a different startup. I, I got recruited out essentially. So I joined a, another startup. But a year and a half later, I was back at GC because they had created this internal hard disk for the Apple Macintosh called Hyperdrive. Oh. And um, that, and we, we ended up having a company that grew to be a $50 million ish range supplier of Macintosh printers and hard disk. So um, it was a, uh, a GCC branded. Uh, wow. GCC, That's incredible. GCC technology branded. So the company made a complete transformation transition to uh, something completely completely different from video game and and it was really all catalyzed by the uh, industry video game industry taking that massive downturn when it did well there I mean there obviously personal computers was in the US at least to the kids that were that grew up with right then with uh, playing food fight that time personal computers became the next big thing so you started on miss Pac-Man worked on food fight for GCC did you work did you work or help on any other titles I think you said everybody helped but um, but is there anything yeah so I worked with Tim Hoskins and Bruce Burns again on uh, Junior Pac-Man. Mm. So that was the, I think the, well, there was Food Fight and Quantum, which were released by Atari roughly the same time. And then Junior Pac-Man, which had a, a scrolling yeah. screen, and that was released by Valley Midway. And so I did work more in an advisory capacity on that. I didn't write any of the software. And we had a bunch of games under development and I was uh, in charge of keeping things moving on the other games, but none of the others got to market as arcade games after that, you know, as the industry was crashing and, and our relationship with Atari was wrapping up. None of those others actually got, got to market. Well, there were there's a lot of GCC-developed Atari 2600 games, too. So, I mean, I think... Oh, yeah. Uh, there was a oh, there was Pac a, Man that's yeah. just incredible. I mean, it's a it's you know one of the best games on the system is Junior Pac-Man for the 2600. And there are a lot like Stargate, I think, and I'll have to look. But there, there are a lot of them that you guys worked on. Yeah, the team that I, I actually didn't myself work on any of the um, cartridge-based games, but <clears throat> the teams that were doing that had incredible constraints. I think one of the things I want to ask you is, what are you doing now? now? You started doing Mac software, and then what did you what 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 did that bring your career to, around to in the last what was thirty five years? <laughs> Oh, scary the amount of time, huh? Well, so I had I was at GCC primarily as a uh, software engineer and project manager in the Mac software days, and then I got into Harvard Business School, and so I went to uh, went to business school for a couple of years. When I got out, I was a marketing executive, including uh, time at GCC, my third stint there, and then I was looking around for the next uh, next thing, and I thought, hey, I went to Harvard Business School, I should look into being a strategy consultant to see if that's a possibility. And I got hired by a strategy consulting firm called Mercer Management Consulting. And that was 26 years ago, roughly. Wow. So for the past 26 years, I've been a strategy consultant uh, at three different firms. But my current firm uh, is called Altman Valandry and Company. And we are a strategy consulting firm focused on uh, technology, media, and telecom. And we have 140 people. And so we do things like um, uh, designing new video offers. So what combinations of content at what price point 
will uh, drive various levels of demand. Uh, so content strategy as well for uh, cable networks and broadcast networks. And as a firm, we also do a lot of work in technology infrastructure, so fiber operators and uh, how, to how and where to deploy fiber, <clears throat> um, as well as uh, different kinds of software companies. And it's, it's mostly corporate strategy and marketing strategy work. I have two questions for you. One, do you have any anecdote, interesting stories about working at GCC or with Atari or any of the weird, anything weird that happened that you wanted to, uh, that you haven't told anyone before? You'd really like to get off your chest? <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one that comes to mind is, so, you know, developing Food Fight, we really did it very quickly, but also had a lot of refinement based on watching people play. So I used to take the prototype game cabinet and we had a relationship with Fun and Games Arcade and Framingham Map and put it in the back of a station wagon, take it over there and set it up in Fun and Games, you know, just like the other games there, except it had a black cabinet. And then I would sit there and watch people play Food Fight and just think about, and I had various statistics I kept track of, like how long did they spend in each level compared to, you know, when did they abandon it or put more money in? Because you can, in the arcade game, you if you put a quarter in relatively soon after finishing a game, you can go up to the level you achieved earlier. Right. So you don't have to start at level one every time. So that, you know, I wanted to see how often that happened. So the, the goal was, you know, find the right balance between simplicity and approachability, but also creating a challenge for other players. So anyway, while I was there, I thought, you know, what would be really cool to catch people's eye would be a banana joystick uh, instead of the, you know, Red Baron joystick. So I got one of those plastic bananas that you get at uh, a, you know, store that sells kit, kit, uh, kitchen <laughs> decorations, whatever, and filled it up with epoxy and inverted a joystick into it. And we had an actual banana joystick. The problem was the epoxy was so heavy that the first time in the arcade, you know, prototype stage, if somebody gave it a good shove, it just destroyed the joystick underneath. So, um, uh, if, but I, I still think, wow, if we collaborated better with Atari on the joystick, it could have been a lot more fun and eye-catching, and also the just mechanical design of the joystick itself could have been a lot better. Well, I mean, one thing, so the mechanical the design of the joystick, the 360 degree, was like remarkable. Do you know if that was used in any other games? Well, it was definitely used in Red Baron because that's, you know, I took the joystick out of a Red Baron oh. for the prototype. Uh, but after that, you know, I don't, I really don't know. But I'll tell you one thing, they had to, it was a very unreliable joystick. I mean, thinking back, that was the biggest weakness because the games, the uh, Food Fight games that were initially sold and that were on test, you know, I read the test reports and see that, you know, the game was broken. It was ine inevitably due to the, the design of the underlying joystick mechanics. And because the Red Baron joystick wasn't meant to be shoved around the way you do with a food fight joystick. So anyway, that was a that was a big issue and weakness with the game. And uh, so having a more durable joystick would have been a big plus. Doing a little research in other issues of Atari's Coin Connection magazine, we found a disturbing article in the spring 1984 edition. It's entitled, Atari Introduces Crystal Castle's Conversion Kits. It says this, Bentley Bear is back. Now he's gathering more gleaming new profits, adding new players to a wide base of older games. Each wave of the conversion game still presents him with a tempting trail of ruby gemstones winding in and out and all around 16 different 3D Super Maze structures. Each kit includes all the electronics, hardware, instruction manuals, and graphic materials to completely convert your games. Order Crystal Castle's kit number one to convert upright missile command. Order Crystal Castle's kit number two to convert an upright dig dug kangaroo food fight or arabian watch out for crystal castle kits coming soon what is a conversion kit anyway 
Arcade conversion kits were sold by arcade game manufacturers like Atari to arcade game owners so they could get the benefit of their existing investment in machines without having to pay for a brand new one. In this case, Atari sold kits to convert Food Fight, less than a year old, into a new game called Crystal Castles. Why does this matter? One only has to look at a document online called Atari Production Numbers, available in PDF format. On that list, which lists the prices and manufacturing numbers for Atari coin-ops, you can find out that Charlie Chuck's Food Fight only had 1,951 arcade cabinets made. And how many Crystal Castle's conversion kits were made? Up to 500. That means fully a quarter of the Food Fight machines could have completely disappeared and morphed into Crystal Castle's. That means less than 1,500 of the machines could exist right now. What happened to Charlie Chuck? One answer is, he was converted into a different game and disappeared. It feels like a little bit of grand irony then that a company, GCC, that got started by making conversion kits for arcade games, including Atari's Missile Command, would then have a conversion kit made for its first real arcade game, Food Fight, by Atari itself to convert it to a different Atari game, Crystal Castles. Was it planned that way, or just the way the arcade business was going in 1984? To you, once you left, and did you look for it? Did you did you wonder why it didn't show up in any of these compilations that are coming around on the Xbox and things like that? Did you have, Did you care? <laughs> well, I, look, I, I love running into Food Fight, you know, in an arcade or someone who mentions it or someone said they saw it in uh, the latest Wreck-It Ralph. And oh, yes. I once read an interview of um, the, the writer of the original Wreck-It Ralph and he said his favorite game was Food Fight. So, of course, I love it whenever I hear anything like that. In terms of it's being on compilation, so I, I, I definitely have some theories and, and some facts about that. So fact number one is I ran into just very randomly an Atari lawyer, and this was probably now 10, eh, probably 12, 13 years ago. And I said, yeah, I, I did, uh, oh, you work for Atari. Uh, I, I did food fight. He goes, oh, food fight. Man, we have so many legal issues with that. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And he said, oh, trademarks on the name food fight it's just you know very tough to clear that because you know it's, it's kind of generic that must be and i'm not a lawyer but that must be one issue and then there are other there was a movie called food fight that came out there's probably other games called food fight the kid you know so i i think that is definitely one of the challenges is that it, it may be tough to do licensing or to enforce licensing uh well, the full the full um, name is charlie chuck's food fight right so if it yeah. is the full name charlie chuck's food fight or is it food fight with charlie chuck as sort of a subtitle it's a great question i mean the um atari i believe it was atari who suggested why don't you give that character a name there's one of my uh friends from mit was working at gcc with me he had tim hoskins is his name he actually did junior pac-man and i said hey tim i'm trying to come up with a name for this character. By the way, the character was, I, people joke with me, but designed to sort of look like me, which, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. I your mean, that's about as far as the resemblance Your goes. head is not I, that large. <laughs> no, I don't have that long tongue that comes out and eats the cone either. But I, so he came up with the idea for this name, Charlie Chuck, and then we ran it by Atari and they said, great, we're, we're going to make this Charlie Chuck's food fight. And, um, and that was what appeared on the cabinet graphics you know up above but on the on the game itself there's you know food fight in these doughy characters and and it's clear the main character's name charlie chuck in the intro screen but i don't know exactly what happened in terms of how they trademarked it or what other intellectual property protections they put in place but apparently it was a legal nightmare so that's theory number one searching tests U.S. government's patented trademark office database, you can find one entry for Food Fight in reference to Atari. It was filed June 1983, registered February 12, 1985, and canceled May 19, 2000, and there are no other records. 
The U.S. copyright database has a little bit more than just one record. There are four. One from March 15, 1983 is the Food Fight Operator's Manual from Atari. On May 31, 1984, the instructions for Food Fight were copyrighted along with those for Crystal Castles, Dig Dug, Arabian, and Kangaroo. On March 2, 1983, the computer file that consisted of one video cassette and descriptive materials for the video game were copyrighted by Atari in the U.S. government database. And finally, the Food Fight computer program was copyrighted June 16, 1986. This must be for the Atari 7800 and or Atari 8-bit version. But after that, nothing. No more references to any trademarks or copyrights for Charlie Chuck or Food Fight. The, the more important, probably, thing is that Food Fight uses an analog joystick. Oh, yes. We originally used a Red Baron joystick, and it's got potentiometers on kind of XY, so you can read the position ar around the grid of the, in, of the joystick. And so I would take the whatever the position was in that grid after it was converted from, you know, analog to digital, and then it would de it determined the direction you were pointing based on where it was on the... Uh, outer portion of the grid and then in the middle of the grid you could still point around but you wouldn't move so you can actually it's such a powerful a control because you can sit on a watermelon and as long as yes. you don't move <laughs> into the outer edge you can throw in any direction and one of 64 different directions so that is so, the one difference between the 7800 version and the and the arcade version of course is i went got playing the 7800 version you can do that because i think they built in a way to stop and throw but the arcade arcade version where you basically almost have seems like 360 degrees of chucking watermelon is one of the most awesome gaming experiences I've ever had. That's why you know that. You, yeah. you made my childhood. <laughs> well, my teenagehood. So, so I actually recently did run into at an inn in Vermont in their game room a compilation machine that did have Food Fight on it. It may have had used MAME as the base. I'm not sure uh, how they did it, but <clears throat> It had an eight-way joystick. And when you've got a full-size, you know, arcade screen and the original resolution of Food Fight, you it re you really lose something in the game experience because A, you can't point without moving, and B, there are certain directions you can't throw in. So uh, you probably are familiar with the way you enter your initials for the high score table where there's a, a ring of letters and yes. you throw food at the letters. <laughs> well, you can't throw at a lot of the letters with the eight-way joystick. And so I think, you know, the other theory is that the, the control in a compilation machine, they're not going to put an analog joystick on there. So it really makes the game a lot less fulfilling to play. Well, the game does play in MAME. I I, rem I don't have a copy now. I think MAME for me got really difficult because after a while it was so hard to get the right ROMs and things. You it, On an Xbox or even on a PC now where you have where you have these 360 degree sort of uh, you know, analog sticks, if created properly, you could you could do both Robotron, which is awesome to play with two sticks, and you could do Food Fight properly. I'm not sure anyone has though. You know, I'm not sure there is yeah. a properly emulated version. One thing I do want to know about you personally is do any of your colleagues know that you used to work on old Atari games? <laughs> they, they all end up finding out because it's, uh, you know, it's a fun fact that not only do I mention every now and then, but they tell each other too. Does it come into like when the ice, when those terrible icebreaker, when you come to go to one of the offsite meetings and there's an icebreaker <laughs> and they're all, tell us something interesting about yourself. Do you ever pick that one above other things that you want to tell people? Um, uh, the better question is, do I never, do I ever not pick that one? Oh, okay, yeah. Because, <laughs> no, it's, it, I constantly bring it up because not only was it so much fun and, and, you know, I was in the right place at the right time and just so lucky to be there, but also just the fact that people, there are still food fights running. I mean, how much software written in the early 80s is still running today? Do you, uh, did you ever have family members or anything who, uh, who have played any of your, any of the games that you worked on? 
Oh, so yeah, when we, uh, when my wife and I bought our first house and had our son, we had our uh, food fight game actually in our dining room, and my son would stand on a milk box and um, play the game. So, you know, that's pretty cool to be able to see your own your own kid uh, playing a game that you developed. It was about 10 years before that, so. Wow, yeah, he must have some cool. stories too, lucky kid. Is there anything about that time or, you know, what you learned from that time that helped you in your current work? I was really motivated to get this done fast because I was so paranoid that someone else would come up with the idea. And actually, I think uh, Williams, I saw in an arcade this game called Splat. Oh. And I heard through the grapevine that it was codenamed Food Fight when it was in development. I, I had the impression from playing it that they never really actually finished it, but, um, but someone else probably would have come out with a game called Food Fight if I we hadn't to, gotten I to that, that up. up quickly um, was, and may have just been a prototype only i don't know for sure there was a game that came out for the atari st called mud pies which is basically throwing pies at clowns and running through rooms it is nowhere near as good as your game at all but it is the same concept and it came out like in in 85 so it definitely was a, a quote unquote it was a rip off of food fight in some <laughs> Um, but clowns well, and pies you, aren't as good as your game. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Well, anyway, the thing I learned is if you can make progress on something on your own toward an end goal, yeah, do it. And uh, it just so much requires collaboration with others. But if there are ways you can individually push the ball forward, you know, do as much as you can to do that. And then obviously you have to collaborate as well. But uh, it just that initiative on pushing forward on your own makes such a huge difference. Well, that's great. Um, one last thing. Where do you think Charlie Chuck is right now? <laughs> so the IP. So who owns? Who, who do you think owns the IP for Charlie Chuck right now? If you had, I, I would. Yes. I would think it's Atari. But okay. Well, he, he um, may be like. Uh, he may be like still stuck in an orphanage, like Peter Pan, <laughs> ever, ever growing up, uh, and and just you know on his own in an orphanage. I don't know. So, does Atari still own the rights to Food Fight? or Charlie Chuck's food fight? Well, we did more research. In fact, we did very simple research. We did a simple search on the internet for the term Atari IP catalog. And what we came up with was very interesting. A PowerPoint document available to anyone free on the internet called 2015 Atari IP catalog. And inside that IP catalog, on the second page is listed Food Fight, and in parentheses, Charlie Chucks. And if you click the hyperlink, it goes to a page that says Food Fight, Charlie Chucks Food Fight. Atari does seem to know they own Charlie Chucks Food Fight, but there's one little wrinkle. If you look at the second to last bullet point, it says this. Developed for the Atari 7800 in 1983 by General Computer Corporation, creators of Ms. Pac-Man. They only think they own the 7800 version. Does Atari even know they own the coin-op? Well, we sent an email to Atari to try to find out what their plans were for Food Fight in 2019. We could only find their press contact online, but we sent an email anyway, and we waited for two weeks. And finally, we got a response, and this is what they had to say. No announcements regarding Food Fight, but Atari just did announce Food God's Food Truck Frenzy this week. Here's the trailer. As far as Charlie Chuck's food fight goes, according to Atari, there's no comment. So there are lots of Atari fans out there. If there's anything uh, you wanted to say to those people that are still stuck in Atari world. I think it's really cool that you still uh, care about Atari games and uh, it's, uh, it's just fun for me to see food fights pop up every now and then and whether someone makes a, has a post about it or it shows up in a movie or I get a call from you guys or whatever it is, it's, uh, it's really fun. So um, always thrilled to know that people still care about it. So in the end, there was no conspiracy. 
Charlie Chuck was not abducted and he never really disappeared. No, Charlie Chuck and his game food fight were simply neglected and now, most likely, live in legal hell with other patent, copyright, and trademark issues. Like so many games and systems that arrived at the tail end of Atari's reign in 1984, they live in a state of suspended animation with a thought bubble over their heads that reads, What could have been? Even if neither Food Fight or Charlie Chuck ever live a full life again in the outside world, you know where they do live and thrive like 1983 never ended? I know you know the answer. Here, with us, with our guest Jonathan Hurd, with our memories that exist between the scan lines, right here in the Vertical Blank. This is Steve again. Thanks for listening to this classic episode of Into the Vertical Blank, Season 2, Episode 1, The Disappearance of Charlie Chuck. Now, in just a few days, you will hear the rest of the story. We have found Charlie Chuck, and we couldn't be more excited. We hope you're excited too. So stay tuned and stay well in the vertical blank. Vertical Blank. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.